Now, if you have a Bible, we'll get started and turn to John 21. So before we read, start reading to John 21. So you all know John Abild has a business, and he's named it what? The Restoration Workshop. So what happens? People bring him old, worn-out furniture, and they want it to be brought back to life, and that's what he does. So every one of those pieces of furniture were at one time new and in polished and in mint condition, and they really look nice. You know, but over the years, they become worn out and abused and broken and in bad need of restoration and repair, right? And with God's help, I mean, I don't know how many of you have seen John's work, but with his God's help, and he would give it all to the Lord, but it's amazing to me what he does with stuff that comes in. And you can get on his website and see pictures of, of things that he's restored. But he had one lady he has on there, if you look, he said she brought him in a truckload of rubble, is how he described that. Actually, it was a desk that was just all in a bunch of pieces, and he had to replace some pieces, put it back together. But, I mean, it really looked nice when he was done. It looked like brand new, and he said he'd even be glad to own it. <laughs> Something he actually did, cleaned it up and put new parts. But today, there's a lot of Christians that have become that way, kind of broken, fearful, backslidden. And God wants to bring us back to life if that's the shape we're in. And he does that a lot with people. We have testimonies in this church of people that had gotten away from the Lord and he's brought back. And unlike John, because I was in John's shops the other day and he had to tell this guy, I can't help you out here, my friend, and turn that guy away. But God never finds a case that's too hard for him, does he? And so some of Jesus' disciples we'll see here in John 21, and especially Peter, were in bad need of restoration. And I think he was struggling quite a bit up to the point of the crucifixion. You know, Jesus announces that he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to be crucified. And what's Peter's answer? He rebukes him, and he says, Far be it from thee, Lord, that shall not be unto you. In other words, you're not going to get crucified. He didn't want to have a crucified Lord. And Jesus' answer to him was pretty rough. He says, Get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. I mean, that'd be kind of hard to take. So Peter's always out front sticking his foot in his mouth, and as a result of that, he gets a lot of the correction that comes that way from the Lord. And then right before his death, Jesus tells all of them this. He says, all of you will be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered abroad. But he tells them, after I am risen again, he said, I'll go before you into Galilee. And that's where our story is going to take place today in Galilee. So he told them this ahead of time. And Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet he says, I will never be offended. And Jesus said unto him, Truly I say unto you that this night before the crock crow, you'll deny me three times. And then Peter starts in on all his eye talk again. And Peter said unto him, Though I should die with you, yet I will not deny you. And likewise, it says, All the disciples said the same thing Peter said. You know, we are going to stick with you. Come hell or high water, as they say. We'll be with you in all times. And we know from the story what happened. They all forsook him, and Peter denied him, just like Jesus predicted. And at that point, before the resurrection, things really looked bleak. The ministry that they had placed all their hope in, they placed all their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he was going to be the Messiah to come and deliver them from the oppressive Romans and set their nation back in his glory. It had all just crumbled, and here he's dead. So they're defeated 
crushed and fearful. And there's a lot of us, I think, that have gone through that. You start off on this walk, you hear the faith message. This is all what God will do for you. You get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're bubbling over with joy. And over time, things just don't seem like they've worked out the way they seem like they should or would at the beginning. And sometimes you can get a little bit discouraged, defeated, ready to quit, wondering if God really does love you, wondering if all this that we've heard all these years is really true. <laughs> so all of the promises for them at that time seemed just like a distant dream. And the disciples are looking at that grave, and they're thinking, he's never going to rise again. That's our hope, has just been buried with him. But then what happens? They get news of the resurrection, don't they? And he's no longer dead. He's risen in power. And an angel appears to him and gives him this message. Do not be affrighted. He, he said, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He's risen. He's not here anymore. Behold, the place where they laid him. But he tells them, go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter. So the angel singles out Peter. That he goes before you into Galilee. So he tells them, you're going to need to go to Galilee. So a little hope is now beginning to flicker. And Peter had to think when he heard that news, he even named me, singled me out, the one that had denied him. And so they meet together in the house with doors shut. They're hovering together, the Bible says, for fear of the Jews. And the Lord just appears right in their midst. And all of them are there, but who? Missouri Tom, the show me state, Thomas Didymus. And so when he appears the second time, Jesus appears the second time, he shows him his wounds and doesn't just show him his wounds. He says, here, come and touch. Thrust your hand in my side and no longer be unbelieving. But what does he go on to say? Blessed are those like us. We don't have to thrust our hands in his side or see and feel the nail prints in his hands, do we, to believe? And he said, we are the blessed ones because it's not dependent on that physical touch, is it? That's not what our faith is dependent upon. So let's read John 21 now brings us up to that's where we're at. It says, after these things, after he had just appeared to Thomas at the end of chapter 20, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. There's seven of them. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, well, we'll go with you. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat or food? And they said, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, it's the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat about him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with the fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and a hundred and fifty-three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. 
And none of the disciples, they were afraid, durst ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and taking bread and give it to them and fish likewise. And this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love thee. And he said unto him, feed my lambs. And he said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto thee, Feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you, When you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you would. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. And this spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. And then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, was also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? And this is the disciple which testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Well, you know, I wouldn't mind if they would have just had like 10 volumes that we were available. <laughs> I'd have them fill in the whole world. But who's the central figure in this, this last chapter of John? It's Peter, isn't it? He's named 12 times in this chapter. Peter himself is named. And so he isn't the first pope of Rome, like the Catholics would say. But nonetheless, he represented the church. Because anytime you see a listing of the names of the 12 apostles, guess whose name is always first? It's always Peter, James, and John. But Peter is always the first one. He was the leader of the first church at Jerusalem. He was the first one sent to the Gentiles. He was prominent when they had the first church council in Antioch in Acts 15. And Paul called him the apostle to the Jews. I mean, he was a leader among the leaders in that church and in a lot of ways represented the church. And so he's the leader of the apostles. He's the leader of all that had forsaken the Lord. He's the leader, though, of those whom Jesus used to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. He's the leader of that. And so what we're going to see here in John chapter 21, what this chapter shows us is after his resurrection, how Jesus is going to relate to his church and its leaders, how he's going to relate to them and how he wants them to function. And so seven of them are here north of Jerusalem. It's the Sea of Galilee. They call it in the King James, the Sea of Tiberias. It's just the Sea of Galilee up in the northern part of Israel. And he told them to go there and wait for further instructions. And so some have said that they were sinning because they went fishing. But Jesus never rebukes them. 
And they hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit and commissioned to go yet, had they? And so they had to eat, didn't they? He doesn't get on their case. They had to eat. They had to do something. So I don't know that it was necessarily a sin that they were fishing. But Peter shows his leadership even in this chapter, doesn't it? I mean, he tells the group, these seven, he says, I'm going fishing. And they're all like little ducks waddling behind the mother. Well, we're going with you. I guess they all had their poles. No, they didn't use poles. They used nets. But... And so what do we read? It said they all toiled all night, toiled all night and had nothing. But look at verse 4. The morning came, verse 4, but when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shores, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And so why didn't they know it was him? Because look what we have down in verse 8. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were, 200 cubits. Does anyone know how far 200 cubits was? You got a study Bible that might tell you in there. It's 100 yards. So it's at least 100 yards from where he's at on shore to where these guys are out on that ship. Now, I don't know. I mean, I'm telling you now, I don't know how far it is to the back of that church, but I had to start having trouble making out faces, right? And at 100 yards, and it's just the sun's just coming up. There might have been a miss. So that could be they couldn't see him. They couldn't see his face, or it could be, like on the Emmaus Road, God had just withholding their knowledge of who it was. But however it worked out, they didn't know that was Jesus on the shore, did they? And he asked them, children, have you had any food? It's like in our colloquial, we would say, have you had a bite to eat? Have you caught anything that you can eat? And their answer is a short answer. They're probably irritated. They've been fishing all night, haven't caught a thing, and it's just a one-word no. <laughs> they ain't going to give any explanation. Like, no, we haven't caught anything, Mr. Stranger on the shore. No. We've been working all night. We haven't caught anything. And so what does he tell them to do then? What's his command to him? He says, you cast that net out on the right side of the ship, and you'll find some food. And that wouldn't make any sense to them. And he tells them to do that on the right side of the ship. Now, how all this works, I'm saying I've read different things on their fishing practices back then. But I've read that they had their steering oar was on the right. You didn't cast your net typically off the right side of the ship. But regardless, you're going to cast off to the left. And here he's telling them to cast off to the right. But even if that wasn't the case, he's given them a specific place to cast their net. And they've been all night fishing and had not caught a thing. Wouldn't make any sense. And so, but what happened? They obeyed that voice, didn't they? They heard what he said, and they obeyed that voice, even though they don't know who it is telling them to do that yet. But listen, there was something about that voice, wasn't there, that caused them to obey. So we're talking about you can get away from the Lord, and the Lord's got to bring you back. And let me ask you, if you've gotten away from the Lord, how important is it to hear his voice and obey it? Very important. So if you'll put something there in John 21 and turn back to Deuteronomy 30, see something interesting in this chapter. Because he's talking about Israel coming back to him, and the number one theme in all of this is you come back to me several times, like four or five times in this chapter, the Lord says, first thing you should do is obey my voice. Deuteronomy 30, beginning in verse 1, it says this, And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations, 
whither the Lord thy God has driven thee. So they've been driven out of their land, and here they're returning back. They're coming back. And you shall return, verse 2, unto the Lord thy God. And what does it say? And you shall obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, you and your children with all thine heart and with all thy soul. So he's saying, you come back to the land, the number one thing is you need to obey my voice. And obeying his voice, you're just obeying his commands, he says. Verse 4, if any of thine be driven out unto the unmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thy heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. That's called regeneration in Old Testament terms. In verse 7, that's their version of being born again. Verse 7, And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecute thee. But look at verse 8. We have it again. And thou shalt return and do what when you return to the Lord? Obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command thee this day. That's the second time he said it. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous, verse 9, in every work of thine hand, and in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and the fruit of thy land, for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good, as he rejoiced over thy fathers. Verse 10, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. There it is for the third time. To keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law. And if thou wilt turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thine soul. And look down in verse 19. It says, Moses said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, he says, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God. And when you love him, what will you do? Obey his voice that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life. And the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee. Four times there, when he's talking about they've gotten away from the Lord, and four times when he says you come back, the first thing he says is, you need to obey the voice of the Lord. You're coming back to a person. We've talked about that many times. And a person that has a voice that's speaking to you. It's just not commandments or laws on a page like the Kentucky statutes would be. He's saying there's a voice that's speaking to you to obey when you come back. It's important. So a lot of times you come back to the Lord and you've been letting yourself get away with things and he speaks through your voice of conscience. You're tempted to tell a lie that you've been doing before and didn't care much about it, but now you've got your heart back right with the Lord and the Lord's speaking. Don't do that. You were doing that before. You need to stop that. Thou shalt not lie. It's the way it may come as simple as that. You're tempted to steal something? No, you're not to steal. You're supposed to be a giver. That word will come back. Those commandments, that's the Lord speaking to you through your conscience. So when we get away from him and come back, he can speak things like you need to pray more. You need to pray for this situation more. You need to be instructing your children at home. You're not obeying my word. And that's the Lord's voice speaking to you through the word that we've been taught all these years. So back to John 21, if you go back there, please. We're saying they hear this voice from the shore, but they see no figure. And what do we know? A common verse we've heard quoted many times in John 10, 
Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And that's what's going on here. Peter and them, they're hearing the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. They recognize it's his voice. Cast thy net on the right side of that ship, and they obey what they hear. Teaching them to obey his voice, even though it doesn't make sense. Because what do we know? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us what? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. The commandments of the Lord don't make sense to us a lot of times. And lean not to thine own understanding, but in all of thy ways, acknowledge him. And he'll direct your paths. Because God asks us, just like them, when we obey his voice, doesn't he ask us to do a lot of things that don't make sense? Like the whole Sermon on the Mount. Like part of the Sermon on the Mount where it says to resist not evil. Because Jesus says at the beginning of that, he says, Well, you have heard that it was said by them of old, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, I'm going to tell you for 99% of America, that makes sense, doesn't it? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth because that's Clint Eastwood, John Wayne. That's everything you see on the nightly news. You do something to us and we will retaliate. That's the American way. You rear-end my vehicle, and guess what? I've got the heavy hitter's number right on my refrigerator. I'll sue you for whiplash. No, that's no kidding. Lisa and I got rear-ended. We did have whiplash. They had a police report. The police came. I mean, my mail's inundated with these guys. We'll help you out. We'll get you there. I'm like, throw them all in the trash can. That's not God's way. Sue all these people, but that's the way of the world, isn't it? And it makes sense. Now, you don't pay me for my services. I'll sue you in court. It's only fair, right? An eye for an eye. But what is the voice of Jesus? I'm saying you get back right with the Lord and listen, we in this church need to understand we don't conduct our affairs based on the world or what makes sense or what is pragmatic. Do we know what we mean by pragmatic? We conduct our daily lives and the circumstances we're faced with based on God's word. The Sermon on the Mount. Not what makes sense or seems like, well, yeah, if we do that, what will happen? <laughs> because Jesus said, you have heard that it was said by them of old. But what is his voice saying? He said, but I say unto you. And so do we need to have the Lord Jesus Christ manifest himself to each of us individually? And we're looking right at him for him to say unto us what we should do in situations we get in? You know, I remember hearing a testimony of some guy that, He's fasting about how do I exercise faith? What is faith? How does all this work? An audible voice from the Lord comes, and you know what it tells him? The voice quotes scripture to him. What things soever you desire, Mark eleven twenty four. You know why? Because that was Jesus speaking it back then. He's going to say the same thing to you if he appeared personally to you. It doesn't change. So he's saying, you have heard that it was them of old. Get back at people, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You don't have to take this off of somebody. He says, but I am speaking, my voice. You want to get right with me? Listen to what I'm telling you on the Sermon on the Mount. I say unto you. And what did he say unto us? I say unto you that you resist not evil. That's the Lord. That's, I'm glad I didn't write it because he's the one that said it. He said, I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever will smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I think a three-year-old could understand that. And if any man will sue thee at law, hmm, I'll take you to court and take away your coat, what does he say to do? 
Sue him back, get a better lawyer? No, what does he say? He says, let him have your cloak also. That doesn't make sense, does it? Seems like you're just setting yourself up to be taken advantage of. And then he goes on to say, and whosoever will compel thee to go a mile, don't just go with them one, he says, he says, you go with them two, because you're not to resist evil. It all falls under that umbrella, doesn't it? But are we hearing his voice say that? You know, that's the way you bring revival in, is you get a people that are determined we will obey the Lord at any cost. When he tells us to go and witness, we'll go and witness. When he tells us that we need to pray, we'll pray. When he tells us to do and we hear, that's his voice speaking to us through his word. We've got willing and obedient hearts because we're not just church people. We don't just come here and sit and hear messages and have a life we live within these four walls, but out there we have another life we live. I mean, we all should know better than that. And our Christianity should mean more to us than that. <laughs> so the voice of Jesus says, don't resist evil. But a lot of times we do it anyways, don't we? Because it doesn't make sense not to. And so if that guy threatens my life and I don't pull out my gun, guess what? I might die. Well, you might die. You just might die. Because I know a guy. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I'm off on this tangent. There was a guy, I'm going to tell this story, and if I have to cut things short or you all miss your meal, forgive me. But listen, there was a guy that uh, up in Columbus, Ohio, he was on Brother Hamilton's mailing list. Jack Dentner was his name. He was an old man, and he had quite the testimony. At 65 years old, he hears the faith message for the first time. He's just an old, unregenerate guard at a building, and some guys at church worked there, witnessed to him. And so he had worn glasses all that takes his glasses off. One of the few people I've ever heard instant manifestation. He could read fine print. I saw his restriction on his license, and I watched him read a fine print Bible holding it out that far. He had a heart condition, was on all kinds of medicine, threw it all away. And, I mean, God was with him and healed him. <laughs> it was an amazing testimony. He had a lot of testimonies to go along with that. But listen to this. He's on Brother Hamilton's automatic tape mailing list. And so he's getting the Sermon on the Mount tapes. And in the Sermon on the Mount tapes are non-resistance. And so Jack Dentner was believing for a Cadillac. Well, he didn't have Cadillac money. I think he had Cadillac faith. He just didn't live long enough to find out about it. But he was probably, what I'm guessing is he probably was going around confessing he had a Cadillac, maybe test driving some coming up to his house. But he was supposed to pick me up one day to take me to work. And he doesn't show up. And I'm calling his apartment, calling his apartment, don't get any answer. Doesn't show up for church that night. And he's an older man. And so me and uh, another young guy at church, we were in our 20s at the time, we were like, we need to go by and check and see what's going on with Jack, how he's doing. So we go to his, his apartment after church, the door's locked, and we go and get the lady that is the manager. So she lets us in. We walk in there, and it looked like a bomb went off in his apartment. I mean, stuff was thrown everywhere, drawers rifled. And so my friend walked into his bedroom and walked out and said, don't come in here and look. And he was dry heaving. He says, you don't need to look at this. And so what had happened was Jack, they had broken in there, apparently thought he had money. Don't, no one knows for sure. No one claims they heard anything. They hogtied him and stuck a butcher knife up his rib cage and ended up bleeding to death. So what happens is then, because me and that friend went in there, I get a call from this police detective. Well, you come in for questioning. I'm like, yeah, I'll come in for questioning. So guess what happened? This police detective in the Columbus uh, homicide detective had gotten hold of those tapes. Listen to the Sermon on the Mount tapes on non-resistance. And he said, you know what? That man never 
struggled, never fought against them one bit. And I know Jack well enough, he would have been witnessing to those guys and telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ, not trying to kill them. That would have been his last words. But that guy listened to those teachings, and, and he spent most of the time justifying himself to me on why he would use deadly force after listening to those tapes back then. He was convicted. And I'm saying, to me, that's a testimony. Because Jack practiced what he heard for coming from this church up there. That was many years ago. And so Jesus says, resist not evil. Because Jack went to heaven. But what if he'd have killed one of those guys coming in there? Where would they have ended up? Is that the way it's supposed to work? So you get me off on that tangent, but that's, to me, that's, that's what happens. So you say it's hard to obey the voice of the Lord, though, isn't it? Sometimes it is, because why? We talked about it earlier, because we can't see him. All of I could see him. Only he could answer my questions. Well, he's answered all the questions that we need answered right here in the Bible. That's his gift to us. Help us through any life situation that we'll get in. The principles are there. So that's the point in John 21. The, the disciples only saw a figure and they heard a voice. And you say that's not enough? I think it is. Because you think about, what about the blind man in John 9? What could he see? He couldn't see anything. And there he is blind, and a man walks up to him. You read the account, puts mud on his eyes, and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the amazing thing is, he obeys what he's told to do, doesn't he? I mean, you think about how crazy that is. Doesn't make any sense, does it? And we're saying a lot of times the voice of the Lord and the things he asks us to do don't make any sense. Mud cake dies, and if you see where he started from and where he ended up, and if you've ever been to Jerusalem, it is not like walking down this smooth, narrow, flat path. It's all up and down he would have had to go. It would have been quite a trial for that blind man to get to that pool of Siloam and wash. So that was a test of his faith. But he did it, and it said he came seen because he obeyed the voice. He recognized something in that voice, didn't he? How did you know to stop for that deer? How do you teach this? It's something you learn by having your heart right with the Lord, spending time in prayer. You just learn to know that I can tell when it's the Lord speaking to me about something. Inside. It's not that you're hearing an audible voice. That'd be nice. But how did Philip know to go up to that chariot? And it may save our lives one day, right? So somebody comes in, some shooter, let's say, comes in a building you're working at, and they tell you to flee or hide. Well, which do you do? Because if you flee, you might run into his buddy, you know? And maybe you're supposed to hide or flee, but God, I believe, if we're trusting him, the first thing you should do is pray. Plead the blood of Jesus and ask God to give you wisdom in what to do in this situation, and he will. Trust him. But you have to know his voice to know what to do, right? Whether to run, whether to hide, whether to flee. But that's what happened to that man there. And Jesus comes up to him after his eyes are open. He said, do you believe on the Son of God? And that man, he says, who is he? I don't know who he is. That I might believe. Because he couldn't see Jesus. You don't have to see Jesus to have a miracle in your life. Didn't know what he looked like. And if you look in verse 17 of John 9, it says he believed he was a prophet. Well, that man's a prophet. But guess what he knew? A prophet had a word from God, and that's what's critical, isn't it? We have to know that there's a word from God to recognize that voice. 
Someone prophesies in here, just like, I don't think that's the Lord. Oh, that is the Lord. There's something clicks with me with what that person said, even though I may not like them. But oh, no, that's the Lord. I can hear his voice. And that's why it says despise not prophesying. Because some people prophesy all the time, and you just start to shut them down. You say, no, don't, you need to be listening, though. Because even that person that you think it isn't the Lord, oh, it is now. It is this time. You need to pay attention. Sometimes you've got to get away from personalities and hearing God's voice, don't you? You really do. This person comes up and rebukes me. Well, I've never liked them. But you need to listen. That may be the Lord speaking through that person. Recognizing that voice, and it's also like Elijah and the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. He comes to that woman, a Gentile woman, and he says, make me a cake. Make me a cake, a little thing of bread. And she says, I don't have a cake to give you, mister. She didn't know who he was. He said, I got a little meal here and some oil, and I was just getting ready to make the last supper for me and my son. We were going to eat that and lay down and die. And what does Elijah tell her? He says, look, don't be afraid. He goes, but you make me my cake first. And then after you're done with that, you go on and make your cake for you and your son and whatever. <laughs> he also went on to tell her what? He said, because you do what I say, you trust what I'm saying. He says, your meal and your oil will never fail until the rain comes from the Lord. So she didn't know who he was, but she had to recognize, man, that guy's speaking to me. There's something clicking with me. It produced faith in her, and she believed that word, and she did what that prophet said, and it says what? It never failed her oil, that she had to have faith, right? And you know how we know that? Because it really made those Jewish people, the ones that should have had faith mad in Luke 4, when Jesus brings up that example. He says there's all kinds of widows that had needs. And there can be all of us that have these needs, but guess what? If we're not going to believe the word of the Lord Jesus Christ then someone else may get that blessing because that's what he told them. And, buddy, it ticked them off, the Jewish people, to hear that. You're telling me a Gentile has the one that had faith in Naaman? You're bringing those two cases up? Oh, yeah, the Lord says. Made them so mad they're going to throw him over a cliff over that. But what he said was the truth. But we see here with him telling them to throw that net over the ship, and to obey what he said, it would have reminded the disciples of something at this point. What? The first time they met Jesus, and he called them to follow him. So if you would turn back to Luke 5, we can look at that account. So we're saying it's a matter of we've got to obey the word of the Lord. Luke 5, beginning in verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he sent unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all the night and taken nothing. But here we've heard this before. But we need to hear it again. He says, but nevertheless, at thy word, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned under their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. And when Peter saw it, oh, he recognized now who the Lord was. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. 
for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the drought of fishes which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth you shall catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So just like the account we had in John 21, toiled all night and had nothing. And why did they have nothing in their toils, in their work, and in their labors? You know why? Because they didn't have the Lord Jesus Christ in both accounts. Because what does Jesus say? This includes our secular, but mainly our works for the Lord, our religious activity. He said in John 15, what? He says, without me, you can do nothing. And he illustrates it right here in John 21. Without him, they caught nothing. And we're going to go out and do all these things for the Lord. We need to make sure we prayed his presence down. We're filled with the spirit. It's the spirit of Christ. Because without that, we can be busy. Even seems like we're seeing results. But he said, without me, we can do nothing. But in both cases, what happens when they obeyed the voice of the Lord and what they did? Astonishing results. Jeremiah 7.23, we sing this song, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. It's as simple as that. And you shall be my people and walk you in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. So that's what we need to ask ourselves. Do we want it to be well unto us? Do we want the Lord God Almighty on our side? Do we want his presence and his healing? Then we need to do what? He says, obey my voice, and I will be your God. His voice is heard how? Through his word and by his spirit. A combination. It's not just the word, but if you're going to just go by all these impressions, you'll end up doing like someone did at this church one time. The Lord told me to drive naked down the highway. Well, God didn't tell that person to do that. You've got to know the word. That voice has got to line up with the scriptures, doesn't it? Or you'll be doing crazy things. And that's what we need to know. So back to John 21, the next thing I want to look at out of this chapter is that God is a God of second chances, third chances, and fourth chances, and on and on, right? So look at this in verse 9. This is interesting. I know we've heard teaching on this before, but look in verse 9. It says, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon in bread. And John takes the time to tell us that there was a fire of coals made with fish on it. And so what's the big deal about that? Why does he bring that detail in? So there's only two places in the entire New Testament that talk about a charcoal fire. Here and in John 18, 18. And I think it's significant that it's in both places. Because in John 18, 18, that is when they were in the courtyard, Peter was, of Annas, the high priest. And he stood outside while Jesus was inside under trial, and it was cold. And it said that the servants and the officers made a charcoal fire, a fire of coals. And Peter, it said, stood over that fire, and it warmed himself over that charcoal fire. And that fire, that smoke would have come up. It's got a distinct odor, that charcoal fire, a distinct smell. And so while that's, that smell and that odor is up in his nose, guess what happens? He denies the Lord three times when that happens. In fact, he didn't just deny the Lord. What does it say? In Mark 14, it says he began to curse 
and to swear, saying, I know not this man. Didn't know him. He'd seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's the one that said, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? And it says he cursed and swore, I know not this man. But yet it said that miserable SOB, I don't know him. I swear to God, he's not my friend. That's what he said. Denied this one that he'd walked with, said he would never deny him. And Luke 22 tells us this right after he denied the Lord. It says, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, before the cock crow, you will deny me three times. And then it said, when the Lord looked at him, it said, Peter went out and wept bitterly. And so could you imagine you put yourself in the shoes of Peter? That you're looking at the Lord that has done all this good to you, made all these promises, and then you have just denied him with an oath, cursing, and you have to look into his eyes after you've done that? That would have created great shame. And all the while that's going on, that smoke's coming up in his nose. It's creating an atmosphere. And he had to remember, Jesus said, hey, you're just really a coward at heart, Peter. That's really you. You got a big mouth, but your heart, you're just full of fear and you're a coward. You can make a boast, but when the pressure comes, you'll fold. And Peter knew that. He knew, man, I love myself and my security more than I love the Lord. And it says he went out and wept bitterly. And like I said, but the whole time that's going on, he's got that charcoal smell about him. And so is that where you are today? Boasting of your love to the Lord, you'd never turn away, and, and some have, and never come back. But a lot of us, are we really walking in the commitment we made to the Lord when we gave ourselves to him on that day? I mean, it may be we're not in some kind of gross sin, but we said, I've decided to follow Jesus, though none go with me, still I will follow, and yet, maybe some in here have denied the Lord. You know, you don't pray, and you don't read your Bible, or you pray very little. And you know you just don't have it in your heart to walk with the Lord right now. And maybe, like Peter, you just feel like you've let him down. And why would the Lord want any more to do with me as many times as I've failed? Why would he want me back in his fellowship? Because people and the Lord look at me and they just think, I'm a coward. I'm not willing to walk with you. But let me ask you, do you want to know God's presence in your life again? Because this other charcoal fire in John 21 is Peter getting a second chance comes back to that shore, there's another charcoal fire. And I'm sure when he first got there, that charcoal smell had to bring back all those memories to him. But guess what? The Lord's going to create new ones. Look, in verse 15, he's over that fire. So when they had dined, they're standing by that fire. Jesus said unto Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he means more than the disciples that are standing there. Because they all said, oh, yeah, we love you. Well, do you love me more than these? And he said unto him, yea, Lord, you know that I love thee. And he said unto him, feed my lambs. And he said unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said unto him, feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. He'd gone smelling that fire back into that dark night, back into denying the Lord, back into giving in to some little servant girl, saying, oh, no, he was afraid of her. No, I don't know the Lord. Going back into the time when Jesus and his eyes met, 
that he had to be thinking to himself, here I am standing here, I'm smelling that smoke again. But look, none of that's being held against me. He's remembering that, but he's thinking, as I'm standing here smelling that smoke, none of what happened back there, the Lord's not holding any of that against me. He's just blessed us with a miraculous catch of fish. He's made us breakfast, and he's even serving us with a warm smile on his face. Hasn't held any of that against me. And now he's speaking to me about caring for his people. He hasn't cast me off. He had to be going through all that. Man, that charcoal was bad news, but now it is nothing for the rest of my life. When I smell it, it's nothing but a good memory. God has replaced it. God has restored it. And he has begun that restoration process in Peter, restoring him back from where he'd fallen. And that's what the Lord would say. He would look at all of us. Rudy, do you love me? Do you love me? That's, that's what he would say to all of us. Can you hear the Lord saying that? personally to you do you love me and hopefully everyone in here can say yes Lord you know all things you know that I love you I haven't always lived like I should have been a failure but today I want to start afresh and follow you like I promised I would at the beginning I want to get back to that place I want to be restored like Peter was restored and you might hear the voice of the Lord then saying this to you because this is his voice speaking in the book of Revelation. Behold, look at this. I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice, anyone hears my voice and open the door, Jesus promises I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And do you know when he said that? That is at the end of a rebuke to the church of the Laodiceans. And he had absolutely, positively, not one good Thing to say to the church of Laodicea nothing he said I can see your works and you are putrid you're useless as a church to me I'm ready to spew you out of my mouth but yet he says just listen behold I stand at your door church and individuals in here I'm knocking there just open the door up I'll come in I'm waiting I will come in and sup with you and you with me so if you love the Lord in here and you say, I know I really do, deep down I do, I haven't maybe always lived like it, then open the door of your heart to him today. Open it up and let him come in and let him be willing to bless, guide, rule, forgive, and empower you and to make you a holy person. Open that door because that is what faith is. It's opening the door of our heart and allowing the Lord Jesus to come in and reign through us. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And that's what he's asking. Opening the door of your heart, receiving Jesus and bringing him in. Because to serve the Lord, what must we do? We have to love him, don't we? Because without love for the Lord and love for his word, at some point along the line, you'll quit. Or you just won't do what you need to be doing. And so what does he say? Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So Peter's love and faith, even though he faltered, even though he stumbled, it never did fail, did it? It really didn't, because Jesus said he'd pray for him that it wouldn't. And he drew nigh to God, because in our account we read, when he knew it was the Lord, what did he do? He can't wait to get there. He dives in the water ahead of the rest of them, and is swimming there, can't wait to get to see his Lord. And Jesus has restoring words for him when he does that. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to us. And so I'm saying God is the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, whatever.
Because what do we have? The story of Jonah. You know, when the word of the Lord, the prophet, came to Jonah, he just flat out. How many of us have ever just flat out, God's told us to do something, I am not going to do it. How many of us in here have ever done that once in our Christian life? Everyone has, right? And that's what Jonah did. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah saying, Arise, go to that great city and cry against it. That is not hard to understand what to do. But you know what he did? He did just the opposite. It said he fled from what? The presence of the Lord and got in a ship headed to Tarshish, refusing to obey. And so a little divine discipline kind of got hold of him, didn't it? In the belly of the fish. And guess what happened after that happened? After the fish spews him out, guess what happens to him? That voice spoke to him again. It'll speak to us in here. And the voice said this, The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, And what did it say? The exact same thing it said the first time. Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So you've missed the Lord. You've done something you shouldn't have done. You've disobeyed him. Get your heart right, and you'll hear him say the second time, or maybe the third time, arise and just do what I've asked you to do. Because he didn't make Jonah a second-class prophet, did he? He didn't remind him of his failure, did he? And he won't do that to us. He didn't do that to Peter. He gave him the exact same opportunity. And even though Peter denied him, he did not lose his place as being the leader of God's people, the leader of the church. But what did he really need? Peter needed that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if anyone in here doesn't have it, I strongly recommend the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Every Christian needs that. To be empowered to hear the voice and to obey the voice of the Lord speaking to you. But he'll do that for us. If we haven't obeyed, cursed the Lord even, gone that far. Your life's been a reproach. Turn to the Lord. Listen to that knock. Open your heart. Repent. As many as I love, the Lord says, I rebuke and chasten. It's an invitation to come back. The last thing I want to look at here is the Lord says you come back and you come back to him. This is just a requirement of salvation. It's Luke 14. Any man comes to me and hate not father, mother, sister, brother in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We have to be willing to forsake all he has. And that means we follow him wherever he leads us. And we see that here in verse 18. He says, Verily I say unto you, when you were young, he's saying to Peter, you girded yourself and walked where you would, but when you are old, you shall stretch forth your hands, and another will gird thee and carry thee whither you would not. And this he spake, telling Peter how he's going to die. He's going to be crucified. And when he spoke that, here's his word to Peter, and it's the same word to all of us here. Just follow me. It's as simple as that. And then Peter turning about, though, <laughs> It's not enough. It's like, do I got to do this? He seized the disciple, John, whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, and Lord, well, what about this guy? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? You, what does he say to do? Follow thou me. He's telling Peter, you're going to be taken somewhere you don't want to go. And Peter's like, all right, I hear what you're telling me. I'm going to have a rough road to hoe. I'm going to get crucified. And he ended up getting crucified upside down as church history goes. But he's like, well, what about John here? My buddy John, doesn't he have to make that same kind of sacrifice? 
And what is Jesus' answer? It's his answer to all of us. We can't wait for the crowd. If we're hearing that voice and it's taking you somewhere, it doesn't seem like the crowd's going, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Because God says, I've got a path for you, every one of us as individuals, to follow. A path designed that it may take you away from where everyone else is going. It may take you into a foreign land. It may take you somewhere in the city. It may leave you at home as an intercessor, somewhere you would rather not go. And what is that to thee? How come no one else has to stay home and pray? That's me, Lord. Why do I have to have that ministry? I'd rather be out on the streets witnessing, talking. I like to talk. What is that to thee? He would say, follow thou me. So when you turn back to the Lord, you've got to determine, I'm going to do what God's voice tells me to do. That's what he's teaching us here, whether anyone else is doing it or not, whether anybody else is following that way. And so somebody's in there, and the Lord's speaking to you. I don't know what people do as groups, but he's like, hey, he's speaking to you about you need to be done with R-rated movies and pornography. And you're like, man, if I don't do that, what are, the, what are people going to think? And what would the Lord say? What is that to thee, what they're doing or not doing? Follow thou me is what he would say. Or how about you're in a physical trial and you know, man, I could easily just get some instant relief from this physical trial or go to a bank and I could take care of things really well or compromise my convictions that I have that I've heard you speak to me, Lord, and everyone around me, it seems like they can do that. Why can't I? Why do I have to suffer? Isn't that Peter's complaint about John? You're telling me I got to suffer, but this guy gets off the hook. And what would the Lord say? If you see divine healing, you see whatever, praise God, and no one else in this church is walking in it, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. I'm the one you're going to have to stand before on that day of judgment, right? And what you do. So we've got to see what the Lord says. Non-resistance, divine healing, the promises are clear. I think the word's clear on both of those things. What is that to thee, follow thou me? Or people at school, what about the teenagers? I know you talked about that young man that he said, hey, when I stand on my convictions, I don't get invited to parties, I don't have as much fun, and people give me a hard way to go, right? And he would say, he can't complain about that, it didn't happen to anybody else at, at school. You have to take a stand on homosexuality or evolution or dating, if anybody even has convictions on that anymore, and you know you're going to get mocked, and it's like, Lord, why, why me? No one else does. No one else takes a stand in church like that. And he would say, what is that to thee about that? Did you hear my voice? Have I clearly spoken to you on those issues? Follow thou me. Take a stand. So wherever the voice of the Lord, we're learning here. This, this chapter is showing us how we walk with the Lord after he's risen. We hear his voice, don't we? We have to know he'll give us a chance if we slip and mess up. Even if we're not totally backslidden, but we just know we'd like things to be better with the Lord. He says he'll bring us back. He'll restore us wherever we need to be. He'll make his presence known to us. But we, from our side, this is how the church, the leaders, and the church is to follow the Lord, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. When you hear his voice and he's taking you somewhere that no one else seems to be going, it is, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And so are we willing to walk with the Lord wherever he's leading us? And if you've known his love and you've known that voice, you will be willing to do that. And sometimes, let me just end with this, sometimes doesn't it seem like God may be calling you to walk alone on this path with him? 
And that's probably how Peter felt in some of those. Those apostles were all scattered, and they all except John, they met brutal deaths. Sent some of them in, into really pagan lands, and they were brutally treated. And they had to feel alone. But were they? And so if you're hearing the voice of the shepherd and you're putting your hand in his and you're walking through this life, even though we can't see him, are we really alone? Because Paul had to learn that even as an old man. The last letter he wrote was 2 Timothy. And look what he says. Paul said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me by himself. Notwithstanding, he says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And that's what he'll do for us when we stand on convictions based on hearing his voice and hearing his word. Amen? God will stand with us and strengthen us. Amen. So that's our word from John 21 today. Amen. Let's bow our heads. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this encouraging word, this word of restoration, Lord, that that you will speak to us, that we can hear your voice, and that when we obey that voice, that you'll bless us beyond our wildest imaginations, that we'll know you're walking with us, Lord, and we also thank you that you've shown us through this example of Peter that you will restore us. If we've backslidden, if we've gotten away from you, if our walk's not like we would like it to be, but yet you're knocking on the door of our hearts today saying, come, I'll come to me, and I will sup with you. I will come into your heart, into your life, and also, Lord, I just thank you that you'll give us all hearts that no matter what, we will walk with you on that path, even if it seems like a lowly way, because our hand is in yours and we're listening to your voice and to your word, and we have willing and obedient hearts. I just thank you that you've shown us that today, Lord. I ask that you'll make that real to all of us and continue to speak to us today and through this week. And we do that in Jesus' name. Amen.